Verse 12 of Hosea chapter 10, the Bible says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Notice, he didn't say, go to somebody that can help you sow. I can't sow very well. Things that I sow looks like a doctor did it on the back of my head. But sow for yourselves righteousness. Why? Because God is not mocked. And whatever you sow, you will reap. If you plant an apple tree, you're not getting pecans. And by the way, it's not called a pecan. Stop saying that. A pecan is what you take on a road trip. A pecan, that's funny. I am glad my mom's not here yet. Hope she's not listening. A pecan, okay. If you plant a, a seed of an apple, you get an apple tree or you get nothing like me. Um, you, you, you can't pull grapes off of a muscadine vine. It just, that's not how it works. And God is not mocked. You can listen to all the sermons that you want to. If you don't sow something, then you're only going to reap what you are sowing. Okay, let me keep going. If you sow for yourselves righteousness, you reap steadfast love. Praise God. Break up your fallow ground. What in the world? That's a super spiritual way of saying, hey, you're dry. Your heart is hardened. The soil needs to be tended to. God wants to plant something, but you got to get rid of all the thorns. Some of y'all are thorny. You, you got to break up. You're not planting deep enough. You threw it on the surface and the birds came and, and they took it away. And, and so it didn't grow because it was stolen. It was stolen because it wasn't really sown. Break up your fallow ground. Do whatever you have to do. Ask God to soften your heart. Take the time to do it on your own because you would rather do it than have him do it. I thought that honestly get more amens. We're just going to keep going. Because the Bible says it is time. It is time. I called my wife earlier this week, and just because baseball season and softball season, and, it's, and it seems like a child has something every night, everywhere, and none of them are the same place. Can we all practice? And no, we can't. But anyways, and I said, you know... Have you ever noticed how many things we have seasons for? It's like, it's football season, it's, it's basketball season, it's duck season, it's rabbit season, it's, <laughs> it's deer season, <laughs> it's deer season, it's, it's baseball season, softball, it's gymnastics, it's, it's finals week, well, it's work. Have you ever noticed that it seems like we have a season for everything except for seeking God? It's like every time of the year, I'm up against something. Well, you know, Pastor, we're, we'll be there. We've just been busy with work. Or, Pastor, you know, it's, we've been there, but, but it's, it's spring, it's baseball, it's travel ball, it's fall ball. When does it end? It's, it's always something. There's a season for everything. Is there ever just a season where you prioritize Jesus and everything else is a supplement? Or is Jesus takes a back seat to whatever season we're in? Pastor, you know, I mean, it's, I, I, I'm going to be, I know you hadn't seen me in a couple of weeks. I was like, I haven't noticed, but you just told on yourself. I actually don't count while I'm it's like, oh man, empty seat. My goodness, they were sitting there last week. I have no idea who sat there last week. Don't tell on yourself. I'll assume you're here. So, I know it's, but, but you got the deer are in a rut right now. Like, it's like, that doesn't sound good. No, it is good. They're in a rut. They're rut. Never mind. It doesn't matter. If you don't understand that, ask your mom. So, <laughs> it is time. If you don't prioritize it, you know what all these different seasons are? Excuses to never prioritize your God. That's what all these seasons are. You will always have a reason to not prioritize your personal relationship with Jesus. And the prophet is saying, I am sick of all these seasons. In fact, all of these seasons, seasons should be an exception, not a rule. 
We, we miss service as an exception. We, we don't give above and beyond because we legitimately don't have it right now as an exception. But God, I hear your voice and I'm gonna give it. And I've done that. I've heard God tell me to do something and I wasn't sure where we were, so I waited and I talked to the person that knew. And then we did it. We've gotta stop letting all the seasons be the norm and Jesus be the exception. Flip it. Let Jesus be the priority. Jesus is the norm. And then on occasion, our children, listen, if you don't understand, if you don't, if you don't prioritize Jesus, then why would your children do it? If you show them that attending services is an option, guess what they're gonna do? If you show them that giving is an option, that serving is an option, that fasting and praying is an option, guys, Jesus didn't give us a bunch of options. He gave us two. I'll show them to you in just a second. But when, here's the promise, but when you seek the Lord, he will come. And he will rain righteousness upon you. Not just make it where you can't mow, but it will be good rain, a righteousness. Listen, I, I love, I love what happened last Sunday. I love what God did last Sunday. I loved preaching Revive Us Again, a message that I've never preached the way that I was able to preach. I love sharing with you. I was so impressed. Like sometimes the response discourages me because I'm human. And at, because I'm human, sometimes I, I place my identity in how you respond to God. And that's not right, and I have to work on it. Last week wasn't one of those moments. I was like, look what the Lord has done. Hey, everybody was, at, like, almost everybody. And then even the people that weren't responding, they were. They just weren't up here. I was like, man, praise God. Thank you. Thank you, God, for this moment. But listen, if we're not careful, we will prioritize the moment over the daily discipline that is actually required to go out and live for Jesus. If we're not careful, we will prioritize an emotional encounter that doesn't actually translate anything. We will prioritize feeling God's presence in an altar and we will be satisfied with living an unaltered life. Are you with me today? I, we have people, I've seen people, they want to go from moment to moment and mountain and mountain to mountain and, and church to church and revival to revival. And, and what we have now is a bunch of revival chasers, a bunch of saints that just want to go somewhere and soak, but not actually serve. And what we need is some revival makers that live for more than the moment that are more interested in what God does through them than they are what God does for them. Can I get some help today? If we're not careful, we will constantly seek these deep, soaking, emotional encounters or experiences with God, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you seek those and you skip the daily grind of discipleship, then you have missed the purpose of the moment. This walk with Jesus is about more than a moment. It's about being consistently committed to the cause of Christ and being faithful in the small things, especially when you don't feel like it. See, we like to follow our feelings and blame Jesus when we don't feel like we felt. But if we try to live our lives feeling like we felt, then we will blame God when we don't feel that way. We're not supposed to be followers of feelings. We're just supposed to be faithful. And when we begin to follow our feelings, which will, by the way, lead you astray, 
because 13 and 14 year olds are really good with feelings. I have a almost 13 year old. I noticed over the last year or so, the feelings, they're just different. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, things I used to say that were funny, they're not funny anymore. Things that used to be, bring a smile, they bring tears. And I'm like, I look at her mom, and I'm like, help. <laughs> I don't even know what happened. What'd you do? I don't know. Listen, your feelings will lead you astray. The enemy can tempt you with feelings. Your flesh will tempt you with feelings. But God is faithful. I'm going to come back to that. So here's, here's the point of all of this that I'm trying to communicate. We have got to believe. We've got to believe in the moments of divine del de deliverance. Like, like last week, like we, we believe in those moments. We have those. We strategically plan for those. Guys, but we also believe in the mileage of disciplined discipleship. I am not willing to sacrifice one for or the other. We have to have both. We need the moments, come on, out of darkness, into light, signs, wonders, miracles, these things that unbelievers will see and desire. But we need more than that. Or we'll just be in a bunch of emotionally unstable people that aren't believable unless we're with a bunch of other emotionally unstable people. It's crazy to me that everybody wants to speak in tongues and give a message in tongues in the middle of a worship set, but nobody's doing it outside of the worship center. Oh, I have a prophecy. Really? How many people did you share it with before you came in here today? What you have is a desire to get on the microphone. Oh, my God. What you, what you need is a desire to prophesy to your waiter and waitress and then leave them a $100 bill and make sure that they know your money's where you say your heart is. It's different. We believe in the moments of divine deliverance. We lay hands on the sick and believe for God to heal them. We'll cast out devils. I ain't, I'm not afraid of a devil. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. The Bible says with a simple command, you ain't got to shake them, spit, and spin them. You can simply command. At no point did Jesus take somebody by the feet and get all the devil out of them. <laughs> There's never a time where Jesus walked up to somebody filled with devils and started, should have bought a Hyundai them. But I bought a Honda. Come on, somebody. I believe in the personal prayer language. I believe in the gift of tongues. But I also believe in the stability of discipline and discipleship. You can't have one without the other, or the other one is void. This is me attempting to make biblical sense of some of my own mess. I, I didn't share this part with you last week, but I told you I preached my first sermon at, at 19 years old, and then within six months, I was in a rundown bar pool hall between Minden, Louisiana and Arcadia, Louisiana, which is on I-20, which is in Louisiana. Anything above I-10, you're above I-10! trying to help y'all and I'm in that bar and I'm inebriated by the atmosphere and the things of which I was sowing because whatsoever you sow so I'm in that place and this is within six months of my first sermon and I look up and I see this guy that looks really familiar and he was one of the seniors in that youth group six months earlier. You have the 19-year-old that preached his first sermon and the now 18-year-old that had more freedom than he had responsibility. And the only way that he lived for Jesus if everybody else was doing it too. What happened? 
Did God not move that night? Did he not respond to that prayer? Were they not saved? Or did the disciple lack the discipline to abide in Christ, not just confess him in a moment? I've taken students to camp. I've laid hands on their heads. I've seen other people lay hands on them. I've seen them have divine encounters. I've seen them fall out on the ground, which is the biblical terminology. I don't know who came up with slain in the spirit. (laughs) And I don't know why we say "Ah," after everything that we preach. That actually doesn't make it more convincing. It's actually harder to pay attention to what you're saying every time you say, uh, at the end of a word. (laughs) What are you doing? Are you having a stroke? (laughs) They draw back, they fall to the ground, they wake up hours later speaking in tongues. God called them, God delivered them, God ministered to them. They were saved and filled and responded to ministry. They're ready to go home and take on the world until their boyfriend calls on the way home. They're ready to go home. They can't obey their parents, but they love Jesus. What's wrong? Man, what happened to all these students that had these divine encounters, and today they're atheists? Today, they're more immoral than they were when they were 15 years old. Some of them are even living reprobate lives that go directly against the word of God. People go to freedom groups. Oh, no. They go to freedom conference. They go through nine sessions in 18 hours. They leave here exhaustedly excited, baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in new tongues. And then they go home. And a lot of them aren't even in our church today, much less still serving in one of our leadership positions. Nothing replicates, nothing happens. Powerful encounters with no action. Times in the presence of God that don't lead to any transformation of the person who said that they were in Christ. Some people last week, I ended the service with Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. You came and you prayed. And you didn't hear another scripture until I read Hosea chapter 10, verse 12 again for you this week. And you wonder why you eat once a week and you are starving spiritually, but the only time you hear this word is when God gives it to me to share with you. Could you hear it? Guys, we believe in the moments of divine deliverance, but we believe in the mileage of a disciplined disciple. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 11, verse 23. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so I don't have to explain it as much, which I'll still do, so I should, never mind. Verse 23. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Uh, Jesus, is there like a, is there multiple choice? Is it just like true, false, this whole thing? No, no. Anyone who isn't working, everybody say working. Working. All right, now everybody say working. Working. Okay, good. I don't want to point at somebody that's asleep and y'all never come back because you went to sleep and got mad at me. Although I would rather you sleep here than stay home. All right, anyway, any whoever isn't working with me is actually working against me. Hold up, Jesus. Don't you think you're being a little brash? I mean, does it really take all that? Golly, you charismatic emotionalist. It's like heaven or hell. Hello? Never mind. (laughs) It's not funny here. You're either for me or you're against me. Verse 24. So... When an evil spirit leaves a person, that devil was cast out. They confess Jesus is Lord. They have a divine encounter. 
They pray that prayer. They're water baptized. They go through the group. They receive the baptism. And it goes into the desert and it's looking for somebody else to fill, but it can't find anybody. So it does what we do. It goes back to what it knew. And when it finds no place to rest, the Bible says that the demon says, you know what, I'll just go back to the person that I came out of. Verse 25. So it returns and finds somebody waiting until next Sunday to have another service. My bad. It went over that well in first service too. So it returns and finds somebody not willing to make the difficult decision of separating themselves from that relationship until they're actually strong enough to lead that person to Jesus and not just let the other person lead them away from Jesus. It returns and finds its former home feels really good about being better than they were, all swept up and in order, verse 26, but they're empty they're not sowing righteousness. They're not sowing anything. In fact, they're still watching the same shows, listening to the same music, hanging out with the same people, doing the same things. The only thing that changed was that they had a moment. And so the spirit goes and finds seven other spirits more evil than themselves, and they all enter the person and live there. So that person is worse off than before and thinks there's something wrong with the church thinks it must be that pastor's preaching. That was Pastor Weston when I was out of town. It was... <laughs> he thinks... Well, I tried. They come back, and they're seven times worse than they were before they went, so they think, well, I tried God, and everything's even worse now than it was before, but what they don't understand is that it's about more than a moment. Jesus said, you're either working with me or you're working against me and there is no in between did you know that jesus painted no gray area he said it's either this or this and by the way which one it is is up to you listen i i am not negating the power and the potential of one moment in the presence of god we believe in the divine. We believe in the supernatural. We believe in the signs. We believe in the wonders. We believe that he is God and what he has done before. He is the Lord and able to do much more than this. He will and still can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you even know to think about asking by the power that works in us through Christ that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive and well in us. We believe that. And that is why we provide strategic opportunities for you to have an encounter with God whether you take advantage of them or not. And I decided a long time ago, I am no longer going to hold myself accountable to what people do or do not take advantage of. I will provide the opportunity. I will invest in who allows me to, and I will not spend my time chasing sheep that do not want to be caught. But if all we ever do is seek these emotional encounters, we just create a bunch of emotion junkies that don't know how to live for Jesus when they don't feel like it. So, I, uh, woo, hang on. If we're not careful, we end up equating God's faithfulness to our feelings. Listen, hey, write this down. We have feelings. God is faithful. There's a big difference. I have feelings. I'm not feelings. I might get in my feelings. Come on, but what you get into, you can get out of. I'm sorry, I'm just in my feelings. Then get out of them. 
Because you have feelings, but that's not who you are. God is faithful, and the follower of Jesus has to choose to be faithful, especially when they don't feel like it. All right, look, 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 I, I wanna, who? cause I can feel, like I can feel you right now. It's okay, breathe. Some of y'all are about to snore. I don't mean that kind of breathe. I mean like, wake up. Hey, I wanna do a little bit of interaction. We, we thought about like sending out like a mass text and then we thought about like a QR code or like an anonymous survey. And then somebody was like, why don't we just have people raise hands? I was like, because it's 2023. That's why you don't have to do that. You know what? I kind of like it. Let's do it. So I'm going to give you two options because that's the, that's the option that Jesus gave us. And I just want you to be honest. You know what? I won't even look. I'll just make you feel better about me not paying attention. I'll turn around and I won't know who is or is not raising <laughs> their hand. I just, this is between, no, no, no. <laughs> I actually don't want to look because I don't want to make eye contact with you and make it any more awkward. So I, I got two questions. If somebody's sleeping, bump them. Say you're going to like this, maybe. Probably not, but let's do it anyways. Um, so option A, I want you to, in a second, not yet, I want you to raise your hand if you are as spiritually confident and strong right now as you have ever been. And by the way, I think you should be. We believe in eternal security. We just believe it's conditional. And you're the condition. So if you're as spiritually confident as you've ever been right now, I want you in just a second to raise your hand. But, but, if you are actually way more spiritually confident on day 15 of our 21 day fast, if you are actually way more spiritual confident, spiritually confident in the fourth momentum service that we had in the same day, or if you were way more spiritually confident when you went to camp last summer, or if you were way more spiritually confident last Sunday than you were this Saturday, then that's the second choice. So one, if you're as spiritually confident, we had several people raise their hands. If you're as spiritually strong and spiritually confident as you've ever been, I want you to lift your hand right now. Come on, everybody, it's okay. That's not being arrogant, that's confident. I want you to be confident of who you are in Christ. All right, put your hand down. If there was another time in your life where you were actually way more spiritually confident than you are right now and you'd be honest about it, I want you to lift your hand. All right, here, so that's not a statement of condemnation. It's an opportunity to examine because the Apostle Paul says, examine yourself to see where you are in the faith. And it's healthy. So to the people that raise their hand because you're really spiritually confident, praise God. How are you going to continue to grow? Because the apostle Paul said, I have not arrived. And if he hasn't, then nobody in here has, especially me. How are you going to continue to grow? Why? Because maintenance is a myth. You're either growing stronger or you're growing stagnant. It's like a marriage, it's like a marriage. You're either growing closer together or you're growing apart. There is no such thing as maintenance. You're either working with me, this is Jesus, I didn't say, I'm just telling you what he said, or you're working against me, and the choice is yours. So how are you going to grow from here? The second one, where you can honestly say, man, there was actually a different season of my life where I would felt way more spiritually confident than I do right now. Here's my question. What are you going to do about it? So what happened? And what in the world does this have to do with prayer? Well, I think this would be a good moment for us to all truly ask, man, why don't I pray more? Why don't I pray more? Well, I'll just be completely transparent and help some of you feel a little bit better without justifying continuing to fall. But often I don't pray because I would rather watch something on TV. I just, I would rather watch a movie. I like Marvel on a screen. I don't like to read stuff. I don't care if it's comic books or not. 
I like to see stuff. I'm a seer, not a re- never mind. There are times, there are times, pe- some people don't read because, well, I, I don't read. Don't pray because I don't have time, right? I know I need to pray, but I don't have time right now. Can I just rebuke the lie of the devil out of your life? If you don't have time to pray, you are officially busier than God ever created you to be. And the truth is, if you just look at your screen time, you had a lot of time. This is a, this is a tangible way. You remember that time that Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart shall be also. What he was saying is, if you wanna see what you care about, look what you spend money on. We say it this way, if you wanna see what you care about, just look at your bank account. If you wanna see what you care about, just look at your bank account. All right, hang on, I don't have a rhyme for this one. But if you wanna see what you prioritize, then see how much time you spend on it. And I would venture to say that most of us in this room right now had more screen time last week than we did prayer time. And here's the problem. When I read my Bible, the things that God did were a response to the things that his people asked. Very rarely did God ever do something that somebody didn't ask him to do. And James actually takes it further and he says, the reason that you don't have is because you assume that God's just gonna do it. The reason that you don't have is because you don't prioritize asking. And you're waiting for somebody else to set up another moment so that you can have another encounter. But until you decide that the moment is up to you, and so is the mileage. It doesn't say if you have an encounter with the Spirit, you won't gratify the flesh. It says, if you walk in the Spirit, therefore who walks in the Spirit shall not gratify the desires of the flesh. Man, what does this have to do with prayer? Everything. I can show you two different times. The Bible says that Jesus went out often. Jesus went out late. Jesus went out early. You know when Jesus went out? All the time. He prayed all the time. He prayed in private. He prayed in public. People knew that he was spending time with, with God. He didn't go around bragging about it, but he did it on purpose because he wanted people to understand that this was the essence of his existence. So I want to compare two mountains as quickly as possible. I said three minutes in first service and Wow, I wasn't anywhere close. So I'm not even gonna lie to you this time. I'm just gonna say I'm gonna compare these two mountains. We have this Mount of Transfiguration. If you wanna read about it, you can look in Luke chapter nine. The Mount of Transfiguration. It's actually mentioned in Luke and Matthew and Mark, and I think it's also mentioned in John as well. Jesus takes three of his 12 male disciples, and apparently none of the women Jesus liked to live dangerously because he left the women out and took three of the 12. If I did that, the other nine would go to church somewhere else. Jesus took three because some people have access to the inner circle and some people are not there yet. Everybody has access. But John loved Jesus. And so because of the way that John loved, not the feelings that he felt, but the actions that he showed, because John loved Jesus, he gives us insight that nobody else can give us. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. And man, they are so impressed. I told our staff this week, I, thought there, I used to think there was something wrong with me. Because because I don't actually like people. I'm so sorry. I'm I'm probably not talking about you. I'm probably talking about somebody else. If you think you've gotten on my nerves, I'm I'm not talking to you, most likely. 
But what I realized, here's what I realized, this is what we began to discuss. What I realized is I don't actually dislike people. I don't like when people don't appreciate my investment. That's what I don't like. You give me somebody that is writing down and listening and learning and applying what I've learned from somebody else that I'm trying to share with them, and I will give my life away. You give me somebody that comes to me about the same thing every other day, <laughs> I will ask somebody else to counsel them. Jesus has Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were so impacted by the fact that Jesus took them up on this mountain and left everybody else at the bottom. They were so impressed that they were chosen above the other nine that they went to sleep. Three people just woke up. He's looking at you. He's looking at you. And when they woke up, they found Jesus having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. And Jesus is like, you know, I've done everything I can do with these guys. And yet it doesn't matter. I bring them one little boy to cast a demon. It wasn't like a big demon. It was a little boy demon. And they couldn't cast out the demon. And I called them faithless perverts. And it impacted them so much that they go to sleep every time I start talking about something new. And Moses is like, hey, don't tell me. I wandered around in the wilderness with a million of these people for 40 years. And I hit one rock and you made me die on a mountain. And Elijah's like, man, I don't know. Angels bring me cakes and Elijah doubled my ministry. Elijah doubled my ministry. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and the disciples wake up. Why did they wake up? Because they heard Elijah and Moses talking. And now all of a sudden they're paying attention. Why? Because they're having a moment that Jesus created for them. And Peter does what all the revival chasers do. They call the church and tell the church that they need to have more services. They're not coming to the services, but they need to have some more services. They call the church and they tell them that you need to have more prayer meetings. I'm not coming to the prayer meeting. In fact, I'm not even going to be at the ones that you already offer. But you need to give more opportunities because if you gave more opportunities, I might would come to one of them. Or at least somebody would. And Peter says... Let's build three tabernacles. Let's set up some camp meetings and play Southern gospel only because we know that that is the only way that God will move because that's what he did in the 80s and that's what he wants to do now. And Peter's in the middle of his exhortation of why these tabernacles are so essential and God interrupts him. Hey, listen. If you ever get interrupted by God, you have officially taken too long to try to make your point. I've never been interrupted by God. I'm just saying, we're pretty efficient here. God says, like, to Peter, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. In other words, Peter, shut it. I said it instead of up. Are you proud of me? Nope, she's doing something else. She doesn't even know I'm talking to her. <laughs> Peter, listen, I'm, I, know you, I know you think that you can only have an encounter with me when somebody else sets up the atmosphere for you, but this is actually not why I've come. All right, now compare this to the next time that Jesus takes these three guys to another mountain, except for this time it's called the Mount of Olives. And Jesus goes into this garden of Gethsemane and he begins to pray. And the Bible says that Jesus is so filled with anxiety over about what is to happen that his blood vessels begin to burst underneath his skin and the pores of his skin begin to seep his blood. And in that moment, Jesus begs the Father and says, if there be any other way, 
We just had this incredible moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. My face was already shining the glory. If there be any other, there's got to be another way. And then Jesus says, nevertheless, I'm not here to obey my feelings. Not my will, but thine be done, O God. And in our book, Draw the Circle, as I've asked you to buy it, and I've asked you to go on this journey with us, and I've asked you to set an alarm for 610 so that you will we'll all pray together at the same time at some point. And even though my wife has said it, and I've said it, and some of our staff members have said it, some of our church is still too busy to do what God asked us to ask you. And we haven't taken the time. And we're watching people outgrow us. And we're getting frustrated with God. And God is standing by going, listen, this is not about you. I did it. I revealed myself to you. What are you going to do with it? In our book, Draw the Circle, in the introduction and in chapter 37, I believe, it may be 38, Mark Batterson says, the purpose of prayer is not that we get God to do what we want. The purpose of us going to God in prayer is not so that we can convince him to do what we want him to do. The purpose of prayer is that we would discover God's will. It's not so that we can get God to meet our desires. It's so that we can come into his presence and he can reveal to us his desires. All right, I gotta speed up. I, I saw this illustration this past week. And this was a jujitsu illustration. Um, but we have senseis in our church that do American karate and both of my children, two of my children are in American karate and, and uh, I don't know jujitsu and I don't like getting hurt. So American karate. The sensei asked a student, hey, um, which of these is harder to get? A white belt or a black belt? And, and the student, like some people in service sometimes, didn't understand that was actually a rhetorical question that he was gonna answer. <laughs> Never mind. Which one of these is harder to get? And the student says, well, the black belt, obviously. The sensei says, no. The white belt is actually harder to get because most people never start. They never begin. And that's, that's salvation, right? That's the first step. That's the moment where you confess Jesus as Lord and, and you have an encounter. You began the journey. Here's your belt, okay? Then the sensei asked the student, what is a black belt? And the student says, someone you run from or take with you on a trip or in a dark alley. No, 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 he says, what is a black belt? And the student's like, I, I don't really know what a black belt is. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I thought I knew, but I'm pretty sure it's not right, so I'm just gonna let you tell me. Here, the sensei says, a black belt is actually just a white belt that never quit. What is a seasoned saint? It's a new believer that never quit. What is somebody who can quote a thousand scriptures? It's somebody that learned one and never quit. What is somebody that can look at their finances and have given away over 40% of what they made the previous year? It's somebody that believed that they needed to start with 10 because that's what God required. And then they learned to trust that voice every other time that he asked for it. What is somebody that you see serving somewhere every single Sunday? It's just somebody that was impacted by somebody who was serving somewhere every single Sunday. Some of you need to start. Some of you need to restart. And some of you just have to make a decision that no matter what, I'm not going to quit. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. All athletes are disciplined in their training, but they do it to win a prize that will fade away. 
Because I have trophies I can't even find. My parents threw them away whenever they were moving. <laughs> no, they tried to give them to me. Like, hey, do you want these trophies? We got this box of trophies. I was like, what am I gonna do with all those trophies? Put them on my mantle for when people from the church come by. I was like, hey, I won first place in 1996, 25 meter sprint in the freestyle. Look at my blue ribbon. You wanna hear about Jesus? <laughs> Who cares? I have a college world series ring on. I try to show it to my kids. They're like, okay. Do you mean okay? Do you understand how cool I am? What is wrong with you? I spent so many hours, so much time and energy and effort. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that because the Bible says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord and not to men. I'm for that. But Paul says, people train and discipline their bodies for a prize that's gonna fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Verse 26, so we run with a purpose. And if you see me running, I can promise you there is a purpose. I've asked you before, I will ask you again, if you ever see me running down the road, pull over, something is wrong. Pick your pastor up and help him. <laughs> oh look, pastor's running. He must be wanting to get in shape. <laughs> wow. No, 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 we run with purpose. Watch this, in every single step. We don't walk through life blindly. We have a purpose in every single step. And by the way, we talk about the fact that God orders the steps of the righteous and he establishes man's steps, but he can order steps all day. He cannot establish them until you take them. You have to take the step and then he can establish it. I'm not just shadow boxing. <laughs> I'll end up on a Jim Fell video on YouTube. God, dude, like somebody help him. There's something wrong with him. Judy Chop. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I discipline my body. Hang on, watch, watch. I discipline my body like an athlete. I'm training it to do what it should because this is about more than just a moment of transfiguration. This is about me training to do what God created me to do. Otherwise, says the Apostle Paul, so if you're doing more for the kingdom of God than the Apostle Paul, I let you off the hook right now. But if you're not, apparently the Apostle Paul thought that it was possible to do all of these things, preach all of these messages, and still end up disqualifying yourself. And he says, I discipline my body and I train it to do what it should because I don't wanna preach all of this and myself be disqualified. I run in such a way that I would earn the prize. And as I just referenced, Peter wanted to set up camp meeting, but Jesus just wanted Peter to learn how to be committed. And this wouldn't be the only time that he would have to correct him because Peter was emotional. See, it's not just about the mountain. This isn't in your notes, you're gonna to have to write it down. It's not just about the mountain, it's about the mission. It's all about the mission. I said, it's, it's, it's not just about us having an encounter. It's about the individual that we will encounter after we had an encounter. It's not just about us receiving the glory. It's about us being a vessel for somebody else to receive the glory. It's more than 
just being hearers and knowing what we should do. It's about being doers that don't just receive, but reflect. Come on, somebody. See, if we try to move from mountain to mountain, experience to experience, without the day-to-day development of discipleship, then we will just end up chasing emotionalism and sensationalism. But if all we do is have these really structured services with no spirit, and we're content to just do all these works and try to earn our way into salvation, then we form a rigid religion that nobody wants to be a part of because they don't understand relationship. By the way, neither one of those is the daily bread that Jesus was talking about. Give us this day. See, if we're not sensitive to the move of his spirit, Hear me, watch this. If we're not sensitive to the move of his spirit and we don't obey the voice of his spirit, then we have a form of godliness, but we deny its power. And the apostle Paul says, avoid these people. Come on, but but when we have a moment, oh God, give us another moment. When we have a moment, of divine intervention and divine deliverance. And we understand that God wants to take that moment and translate it into mileage of disciplined discipleship. Then we have more than a moment. We have a relationship with God. This is how I ended the first service and I I feel like I'm supposed to do the same in this one. I'm actually not gonna call you forward And normally I would be like, hey, bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm not saying I'm not gonna do that again because I think that it should be as simple as possible to start. Let me give you an example. But this was easy to receive. All all my 10-year-old daughter, come on, so my 10-year-old daughter is in karate and she loves it. And I advocate it. If that boy comes up to you, you Judy chop his face and he'll learn for the rest of his life. So, but then she went and she had a, a yellow belt and which one comes next? Is it orange? And, and I don't have the yellow, but, but she, she got stripes at every level. And then she earned the green belt. And then if she keeps going, if she doesn't quit, she'll get a a, a blue belt. And then there will be time. And then they start giving her gear. Come on, somebody. And she's like, fight. You are not. She snorted. My sister snorted. Come on, and first of all, like, you start out with something soft and it's not a big deal, and you're like, all right, I'm gonna put this on my foot and I'm gonna kick you not between the legs because we learned that lesson. But then, then they like give her these ninja chucks and she's like, ready, you know, please don't hit yourself in the, ah. <laughs> now she can do more damage because, because she's actually learning how to use the weapon. But it all started with a moment, with a decision.